You know what I hear from just about every rep that I talk to, and especially sales leaders, when I really get down to what they want, because usually they'll say, I want to get better at cold calling. I want my team to pick up the phone more. I want to get more responses to my emails. Really what everyone wants at the end of the day is scalable, repeatable results. Repeatable is the number one word. If I took a word cloud, which I have, of all of the notes that I've taken over what reps share with me that they want in sales leaders, it's almost always repeatability. How do you get repeatability? Well, one of the ways that we help is through playbooks. If you've worked with me as a company, we build playbooks. And what that does is it gets everyone speaking a consistent language and it gets the whole team's results elevated to a level where people are talking the same language and we can build upon this foundation. But here's the reality of most playlist playbooks. Most of them that I've seen live on a Google Doc, a Word Doc, or a PowerPoint presentation. That's not bad. Don't get me wrong. That's better than having nothing. But the challenge is the usability of those documents. If I have to open up a PowerPoint to look at my talk track, and I got to have my CRM and my sales engagement tool open, that's three, four different things that I got to do just to make my cold calls. And if it's another place that I have to go as a rep to get the messaging for my cold emails or talk tracks, I'm just not going to do it. That's the hardest part about playbooks is getting reps to actually use them. And if you're a rep listening to this, it's actually just using this stuff, right? So I want to tell you about a tool I'm really excited about. This episode is brought to you by Outplay. And it's a tool you can use that brings the activity. So sending the emails, making the calls and the playbook into the same platform. It's going to make your playbooks immediately actionable so that everyone can replicate your best reps or you as a rep can coach yourself and put your own playbook in there. And if you're onboarding new reps and growing your sales team, this is a way you can get them up to speed in a matter of weeks instead of months. Sounds pretty cool, right? So I want to leave you with one other thing. You can check out Outplay at outplayhq.com slash Jason. And if you use that special link, you're going to get 20% off. So if you've got a team of folks that you want to sign up and maybe move away from one of those really large companies that really focuses on enterprise that are super expensive and don't give you the customer support that you need, <laughs> I won't mention their names. Check out Outplay. It's outplayhq.com slash Jason. You'll get 20% off using that link and save about 180 bucks. So what would be normally $75 a month or $900 annually, you're going to get $180 off of that. So go to outplayhq.com slash Jason. Super excited for the episode today. If this is your first time checking out the podcast, my name is Jason. You can call me JBay. And this podcast is for reps and sales teams who are really on a mission like myself to turn complete strangers into paying customers. So if you want to know how to start more conversations through your emails, through your cold calls, through your LinkedIn messages, you're definitely in the right place. Today, I'm excited for our guest, John Weiler. He is an SDR manager at a company called Path Robotics. And full transparency, they were a client of mine. And I had a really good time working with John in our one-on-ones that we did outside of the training calls. And his team was just awesome. And you know what? I talked to him. I was like, dude, we need to get you on the show, man, because the things that you're doing with your team from a culture standpoint, how you're really empowering people on your team and just how you lead them is just killer. He is one of the best sales managers that I've ever worked with. Yeah, and I'm really excited for you to learn from him as well. So we talk about a lot of things. One, how to lower your guard and be a little bit more vulnerable with your reps so that they feel comfortable bringing their problems and challenges to you. We talk about rubbing shoulders. So not being afraid to pick up the phone like he did during our sessions and make calls together. How to take your coaching to the next level. How to customize your approach. For each rep, we talk about being able to 
really think about how you define your culture through something he calls a culture statement. I mean, this one's just filled with goodies. Just he drops a lot of bombs in here and he's just a great guest. So I'm really looking forward to you checking this out. And without further ado, let's get to the episode with John. So there's so much I want to dig into you, man, and I'm, I'm pretty excited to have uh, the conversation today. One of the things that, I mean, if you just look at your career, one thing that we, I think, share in common, you have some experience going door to door, if I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah, I do. So, um, and I'm super excited to be on as well, Jason. When I was younger and in college, I did some door to door sales. And it's just one of those things where if you don't have a lot of exposure in the sales world, it makes you jump right in and out of the comfort zone where a lot of growth happens and you're delivering a script and a door can get slammed in your face or you can work your way into a solution with someone. Yeah. So what were you selling? I did a few different things. So I did an internship with roofing in college and we would go door to door there. And I don't know what you know about that. I know you've done stuff with painting. House painting. Yeah. 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 So you go there and, and, and if a storm comes through, you're talking to people if they've gotten damage and stuff. So that was one. And then the other one was security systems. And this was a internship that I did. And I didn't really know what I was getting into. It was kind of vague, but I was like, this sounds exciting. And it was down in Texas. And so I went down there and uh, it was pretty eye-opening experience. They had this technique that they referred to as art, agree, respond, transition. So no matter what the person at the other end of the door told you, you could agree with it. And then you would respond to it. And then you would transition back into your talk track. So. Was knocking on doors hard for you or was it something you were afraid of at first? Was it pretty easy? What was the experience like of, you know, if you could remember the first day you had to do this, what bring us back to that time, man. First day is similar to the first day, I think, in a lot of different scenarios or life experiences filled with a little bit of excitement, energy, at least for myself. My experience has definitely been nervous energy. I want to get out there. I'm competitive. So I played sports growing up. That's never really left me. So first day, wherever I am, I'm sitting in a room and I'm kind of like, I've got to prove myself in this room of people. I want to stand out and I want to be a top performer. And so I put some pressure on myself without even knowing what I'm getting into. But first door that I knocked on, I think I just stood there and was just silent. (laughs) And the person, I think, just shut the door. Like, I don't even know. I kind of just went on to the next one. The first day, it was just kind of like, what just happened? By the end of the summer, I was loving it because of that competitive drive. I was knocking on doors and we would get texts. The company culture was like, next sale gets a hundred dollar bonus. And in college, it's like, okay. And you get that text two or three times and you could make 300, 400 bucks in a day. And so it was really motivating. And it really, I think, accelerated my fear of rejection and compressed what some people might get away with over years into three months in an internship because you're just from sun up to sundown knocking. And then nights and weekends, you get over that right away because that's when people are home. So there was no like nine to five. You could knock during the day, but a lot of homeowners like to make decisions with their significant other. So someone would be at work and you'd have crazy rebuttals. Like we were down in Texas. So a lot of people would hit you with Spanish. So I had to learn my talk track in Spanish, which was fun. And uh, I'll never forget one experience. They, they opened up the door and they, they started in Spanish and I started back in Spanish and then they went to French 
Well, it just so happened that this guy that I was knocking doors with took French classes in college and he started speaking French and the homeowner, you would have thought like, they were like, how do I get these salespeople off my porch? So that, that's just a story that stands out and is, is create really funny, but really good experience, especially in the sales world. Fear of rejection, literally out the door, not to be punny, but. Yeah. The other thing that I relate with so much on me there too, is this. You, know, you hear this a lot in the B2B you know, outbound world is you know, bothering the person. Well, when you go door to door, when people are home, I'm sure you caught a lot of people in the middle of dinner. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And you just kind of learn to acknowledge it and just, hey, my bad. But anyways, are you still looking to get an estimate or whatever? You get over that part of bugging people. Well, you have to if you want to succeed and you get over that part pretty quickly, too. Yeah, there's a lot of I think like. That whole idea of outbound sales development in general, B2B, whether it's through a phone call, door-to-door, emailing, texting, you kind of get over that at different points in your career with belief in your solution, belief in your product, conviction in what you're doing, and then seeing the other side. So like once I started to see some of the value I was bringing, yes, it was security systems. And yes, some of the sales were, you know, I'm working my way into the home, but some of the other ones, the people legitimately needed something. Like you were in some of the questionable parts geographically, and it was an older person at home by themselves. And you could tell that they actually welcomed them. So there was a mindset there that if you could work yourself through that level of conviction would get you past that initial, like uncomfortable, maybe minute or two. And if they said, come back, come back, you know, I'd I'd always come back. And now later in life, when someone comes and knocks on our door, I give them the time of day because it brings me back to when I was doing that. And I kind of judge on like, you know, hey, you know, how's how's the door-to-door sales game changed? What has it gotten better? Has it gotten worse? And I actually have gotten two services here since being a homeowner from door-to-door salespeople. So I have nothing against it and and I respect the game. Yeah. Oh man, it takes so much. And and uh so how do you think about well, if I backtrack even a little bit before we talk about, you know, kind of transferring skills. When did you know that you wanted to become a sales leader, like what you're doing right now? When did that become apparent to you that, hey, you know what, I'd, I'd like to lead people, teach people, you know, that kind of thing? Yeah. So it's been a, a theme in the background. It didn't come up to light. And I acknowledged it, I think, until very recently. And what I mean by that is, yeah, what I mean by that is like I was captain of sports teams growing up. So I had this natural ability to, want to lead people. But what I wasn't doing that well was listening and, you know, leading by example necessarily, or leading from the back versus trying to to tell people what to do. And so in my twenties, I jumped into the sales world. I started a business, learned a lot of lessons, and then jumped into the sales world as an individual contributor, a closing role. I was a full sales cycle. And these were big ticket items sold over the phone and then would bring them in and close in person or completely sell them over the phone completely. Anyways, long story short, I got promoted in this family-owned business pretty fast and pretty high up. And I had a lofty title. I was a leadership person in my 20s, making great money, more than I'd ever made before in my life. But when I reflect back on that situation, I didn't lead as a successful leader. And so that experience stuck with me, at least to my standards. I was like, yes, I had the title, I had the paycheck, but I just didn't feel like I was actually doing a really good job at leading and growing people and educating them. And so then I, I jumped back into these other roles. They were primarily individual contributor roles. And then I fast forward to today and I have this opportunity. I have this bridge. I can either go into a closing role here 
or I can go back into sales leadership. And I sat down and had conversations with myself, my wife, my friends and family. And I said, this is a hump in my life that I have not been able to get over. If I want to get to the next level, whether it be personally or professionally, I have got to figure out how to successfully motivate and grow other people. And so I challenged myself and I've been having a blast and I've got very high standards. I'm probably my own biggest critic. So, you know, am I doing a successful job right now? I think I'm doing better than I was 10 years ago. And I think I'm a much different leader than I was 10 years ago, but it's still something where it's like, I look at it as like, if you can unlock how to motivate other people, you, you can do anything in the world. And so that's kind of how I approach sales leadership. One thing that really stuck out to me in our work together is that, believe it or not, most companies, when they bring me in, the reps are pretty open, but the leadership team is not really looking at me as a source to learn from outside of just the techniques of writing the email and doing that sort of stuff. And you had this very much a beginner's mindset, not that you're a beginner, but you had this beginner's mindset where it was constantly, we would run out of time every meeting. You always had an agenda coming in of what you wanted to learn. And I want to go back to what you said. You said leading from the back. I've never heard that before. What did you mean by that? Yeah. So I've seen this picture. I'm big on quotes and I'm big on, on books and I like like quotes with pictures and stuff. And so there's this visual where there's this leader and he's like, pulling, he's like pulling all of the people. It's like this Greek Spartan picture and he's pulling all of the people and like telling them like, come on, like, and like that's leading from the front is like idea of like, you're telling all your people, you're not down there in the trenches with him. Leading from the back is like, he's back in the trenches. He's the last person in the line and he's helping push the rest of the people forward. And, you know, he's, he's in there with them. He doesn't need to be front and center. He doesn't need to be above his team. He doesn't need to be shouting out orders he or she's down there in the trenches with the person learning all the new tricks, trying out all these things and not shying away from experimenting and failing in front of their team, not shying away from where we are right now as a team where we need to get to. So that's kind of what it means to me. Yeah. I just had the, you know, I love that movie 300 with Leonidas. And the thing that's interesting though, about that is I think there are pros and cons and I relate more with your leadership style, by the way, I've never been the loud person in front doing the hoorah, you know, kind of thing. Even in sports, I was, I was not like that. And I wish I was a little bit more like that, especially in sports. But, you know, Leonidas in that movie, at least the way they portrayed him, the thing that I don't think is very relatable is he comes off the, as this guy that has no fear. And he is not ever vulnerable in front of any of his other people. And he doesn't take any excuse, like none of that kind of stuff. And there's a part of him that almost doesn't seem human, <laughs> which I think you're talking about what you're sharing is we can kind of do a little bit of both. You know, we don't have to be this, you know, macho man or woman and have this impenetrable armor. And we can lower our guard a little bit. But the most important thing is I call it rubbing shoulders is how it was taught to me, rubbing shoulders with your team. Some of the biggest moments in my professional career have been when people above me, VPs, CEOs, anyone C-suite puts their guard down and is vulnerable with me, it accelerates our relationship and our trust foundation and everything so much more. And, and there's plenty of guarded people that I've reported to throughout my career, but I will say that. And so when I think about my own teammates, that's something that I think in mind is like, I'm a big believer in if you enjoy the people that you're working with and you enjoy your work and you enjoy your culture, you're probably going to work harder 
because you start to make it your own. It's not, you're not clocking into a job. It's something that you genuinely enjoy with people you enjoy doing it with. And for me, vulnerability is a big piece of trust and vulnerability is a big piece of like, it motivates me. Honestly, if my VP is vulnerable with me and he's open and I can relate to him as a human being, I want to work harder for that person. So I think about that when I'm around my team, I'm not infallible by any means, you know, I make plenty of mistakes and hopefully the mistakes that I'm making can help compress their learning and accelerate them far beyond where I was when I was their age. So how do you put that into the vulnerability into action? What are some examples or things that you think about? This is a really, really big thing I noticed that you do well with your team is the culture is very tight. And we could talk about that more too, but how do you practice lowering your guard, being vulnerable? How do you put that into action? Well, I'd say the first thing is when I make a mistake, I own it and I make plenty of mistakes. And so I think what it's done is it's created this environment amongst us SDRs that we're all very open about celebrating our failures and we celebrate them as learning experiences and we kind of laugh about them. And it's honestly brought us closer together, but I help lead that so people know Because if you're in a Slack channel and you're with managers, directors, VPs, you can be pretty scared sometimes to open up like, hey, how do you think I did on this call? And there's like three levels of of leadership in that. that. (laughs) Are you going to post that call and ask for that open feedback? You might not. It's kind of like the same thing in a classroom, raising your hand and being scared to ask the dumb question. So I know that if I start raising my hand as the teacher and I'm just letting them know, like, here's all the things I did, like, and here's what I learned by doing it. I want to find that balance between being able to be vulnerable enough that they can trust me and they, and they can see that I'm a human being who makes mistakes, but also that I have enough experience to still teach them and guide them. So one of the things, it just happened this week, I was responding to a lead. I was going out and, and making calls and sending emails and, and trying to work on my craft. And I set this meeting up and you know we talk about qualifications and we talk about what we can do today. And I set up an opportunity and it's just not feasible for where we are today. And so I went back before the discovery meeting was held and I called the guy and I said, hey, it just doesn't seem like it's going to work out. I was moving a little bit too fast on my end and I apologize for that. And so why don't we go ahead and table this conversation for when we can actually work together in a meaningful way? And I shared that entire thread and experience with the team and said, hey, I want you guys to know, like, even I sometimes get too caught up in booking the meeting or getting that next thing up on the dashboard to where I lost sight of what's most important, which is having that conversation. And can I actually solve this person's problem? You know, and so that there's probably the latest example. And it's just it's just a continuous cycle. Dude, I love this. There's so much to unpack there. One thing that you mentioned that's so important is, uh, oh, by the way, you're about to become a dad soon. Congrats on that. Yeah, thank you. I've so very we've, <laughs> my, uh, my wife, Sarah, and I've been looking into a lot because we're, you know, want to get that whole kind of process started here in the next year or two. So we read a lot and stuff and, and uh, she's always sending parenting articles over and we're just looking at that stuff. But one of the things that we talk about and reflect on in our childhood is how you, oh, there we go. <laughs> Yeah, that's on the list. That's yep, on the list. Yeah. yeah um, and you know what's kind of cool is I'll get to I'll get to ask you for advice, dude. You're gonna go through it before me. Yeah. Doors <laughs> always open. I, you know I'll talk, you know I'll be vulnerable with you. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> but this concept of modeling behavior is so interesting to me because when I reflect on my childhood and you know when I've talked about it either in therapy or with other people or whatever, it's so interesting how much of who I am today was just modeled based on what I saw my parents do. 
And you mentioned this leadership thing is really important. The best way to get your team to lower their guard and be vulnerable is for you to do it in front of them. And it creates this environment where, hey, if John's willing to be vulnerable in front of all of these people and share mistakes, which I think when people share mistakes and weaknesses, it actually is more of a display of confidence than it is of weakness. But that modeling behavior, I would just want to double click on that thing. I think that's that's really important what you shared there. I want to get into this next piece of, you know, I call it rubbing shoulders, like we talked about. So one of the things that may have surprised you, because I wasn't planning on doing it, is I, I did a cold call session with you guys. And I do that on purpose to show that, hey, I'm willing to do the work too. You also do that. And I'm guessing you don't have any sort of quota or anything like that. You said, keep the tools sharp. You want to know how to do the thing that you're teaching people. Can you share more about that? How do you think about this rubbing shoulders piece? Yeah. So, and, and the, I will say very impressed with you jumping in on a cold calling session with us, not knowing that much about the product, you know, you haven't gone through any kind of path training per se here on our product and, or talk tracks or anything that, you know, and you jumped right in and very genuine, very engaging, very conversational. So hats off to you on that piece. I was nervous. <laughs> it was really exciting. You couldn't tell it was exciting for our team to hear all that. I think it's really motivating for the team just to touch on that, to see someone who doesn't have any of that jump in without fear and just jump right into it. Because I think half of the battle is getting out of our own way and getting out of our heads. And so when we talk about modeling and and vulnerability and stuff, you know, putting the guard down, I think there's nothing that I'm going to ask my team to do that I wouldn't do myself. And if I'm on there talking to them about cold calling, or I'm talking to them about putting in the work nights and weekends and and other things that we talk about, I've got to show them that I'm going to do it myself. And so that's part of it. It's not just sharing the bad examples, but also sharing the good examples and showing them, you know, through work ethic and through dedication and through persistence that you can do it. You can do anything that, that you're willing to put the work and the time in for. Now with the modeling, the question that you're asking in terms of like cold calling and, and jumping in, one thing that's been a challenge for me in a sales leadership role is is having a culture of camaraderie and team in this new virtual environment. And so one thing that we all took away, as soon as we hopped out of this session with you and we did the cold calling and we did it all on Google, we didn't know really what to expect, but we were all in a room, we're all calling. And then we did these check-ins, I think at a half an hour. And then again, at the end of the, the session and just kind of talked and there was this energy going and it was like, man, we really got to capture this and keep this momentum going. And so coming out of that session, one of the things that we implemented were these virtual sales floors. And it says exactly what it sounds like. It is just a virtual version of a sales experience together as a team pre-COVID, pre-pandemic. And we all get together. We all sign on to this Google Meet. We all have our list ready. We know what we want to do with that time. And whether it's calls, whether it's LinkedIn, whether it's emails, whether it's texting, we're all doing that activity together. So we can check in and we can get a pulse on where we're at 20, 30 minutes in, and then at the end of the session. And every time we've done that, since we did it that first time, we've generated results. And it's like 60 minutes, go, do this as a team. And the coolest thing is, is that now they're posting like live recordings. If it's a cold call, for example, as soon as it's done, it's going right in the Slack channel. And so when we talk about modeling behavior, it's like, here's the playbook for success. Everyone can see it. Everyone can hear it. Everyone can be a part of it. And it's really built up this camaraderie. There's, you know, SDRs now that are looking forward to it on the week. Yeah. 
That uh, got another big thing to double click on that you've just ran with is that virtual sales floor, you know, kind of thing where not that your team was making any excuses, but it's amazing how many of the excuses of, oh, people aren't picking up right now go away when you just all do it together on a call. For some reason, prospects pick up. Yeah, it is funny. It's coincidental. Life's coincidental. You go to share an example of something and you go to share it, you know, it happens to me. I'll share something with my team and it'll be funny. I'll share it with my direct report. It'll be funny because it's like what I was going to talk to you about. Now it doesn't happen this one time I go to, you know, I go to share it. But that consistency, doing it now on a weekly basis and doing it multiple times a week, you do have some sessions that are lighter than others. But the thing that I have realized is if you spend 30, 60 minutes every day with your team on a shared goal, there's always an outcome. And it doesn't always mean that you're booking new meetings. But one of the things that's been interesting is we might get into a deep conversation and it becomes a learning opportunity. So the result wasn't necessarily something that we can throw up on a dashboard and celebrate. But instead, we take this 10-minute conversation and we're pausing it and, and looking at the talk track and the transcript and saying, we could have done this, this, and this differently. And maybe we could have had that, that desired outcome. So no matter what, I think it's a great use of time. Let's talk about the coaching piece. So this is another thing that when we talked about it, I noticed seemed to come very naturally to you. You're already doing a lot of this stuff. If we kind of zoom out a bit before we dig into you know, call coaching specifically, how do you think about your role as a coach? I truly think of it as a coach. I kind of get this weird, I don't know why, but I'm like, if people call me their manager or the, they're like boss, it's kind of like, ah, I prefer you say coach. Words matter, I think. And so I, I'm like big on that. But really what I think about is it is my job to make these people on my team is a part of my job. Part of it's a shared responsibility on them. They've got to want it. But once they they sign up and they join, they know what the culture is here at at the at path and they know what they're getting into. And so all of those expectations are laid out. Now it's part of my job to help grow that individual and get them to the next level, whatever that might be in alignment with their personal and professional development that we talk about on a weekly basis. Figuring out what motivates them is going to help me be a better coach. Figuring out their communication style is going to help me be a better coach. I think, you know, to hammer in on a specific example, right? I had an SDR amazing and and dude crushes quota but when i look at him i see a lot of potential from where he can go and if he made small tweaks small shifts would be able to do even more and so a little bit of call reluctance right and so i'm thinking in my head early on like how do i get this person to make more phone calls those were the questions i was asking myself but the real question that i needed to ask and the question that I ended up asking that I think was a really big eye-opening moment for both of us was, what do we need to do to get you to the next level? And that, and that was a much different question than the question that is like, hey, you got to make more cold calls. That's like an activity-based conversation, whereas like this is like a big picture conversation. you know. And then there's nuanced ones in there of like, this didn't get the result that we, we didn't see. We didn't get the desired result here. You know? Walk me through it. Why didn't we get to where we wanted to get to? Let that individual speak. So I think I, I needed to change the kind of questions I was asking, but you don't know what questions to ask if you don't get to a deeper level with your team and you don't understand what motivates them. You don't understand what kind of personal history they had. Life experiences, you talked about it earlier in, the, in this, your upbringing is huge. You know, like the communication styles of all of my teammates, they're all wildly different. They're all wildly talented. 
and they all receive and give information slightly differently. And so all of those things factor into how I coach them. Another insight I had was early on, I was giving a lot of advice, general advice, and I would send it like kind of like a mass blast to my team of like, hey, you know, here's a, here's something, here's an insight. Well, if I'm not specific and I'm not clear and I'm not communicating directly with individuals, one person can interpret that piece of advice completely different than the other person. And so how do I know if I'm being effective or not? So now I'm really working on crafting my message to make sure that it's going to land with that individual based on the type of relationship we have and what we know about each other. There's so much there, dude. I love the, this customizing your approach thing. It's, it's so interesting to me, the blend of skills that are necessary to be a good leader. Part of what you just said, that's marketing. How do I write this message in a way that this person's going to receive really well? You know, and there's empathy underneath that. There's copywriting skills. There's all kinds of other stuff. But one of the things that I'd love to hear more of your take on, and I know a lot of the people on your team, because we work together, not as well as you do, but you said basically this concept of customizing your approach. How do you think about giving the individual what they need and then balancing that with what the team needs? Do you think of those as different things or do you think of them all as individuals or a collective or both? How, How do you think about that? And how do you think about giving the individual what they need? You know, one of the toughest thing about getting better at cold calling, which I'm assuming is one of the things you care about if you're, you know, listening to this podcast, is a lot of times when a rep comes to me and they want feedback, I'm not able to listen to a recording because they don't record their calls. So they're giving me secondhand regurgitated their recollection of what happened in the call and more along the outcome of the call. And they're asking for coaching around that. And here's the thing. If you're getting a lot of objections, let's say, like we already use XYZ competitor and I'm coaching around that objection, what I didn't hear was the minute, two minutes of the call prior to that, that maybe you did something that caused that objection to happen and we could prevent it. I can't really do that if I don't have a recording to listen to. The other thing that's really hard too, as a sales manager, sales leader, is if you want to provide cold call coaching to your reps and you don't know what they sound like on the phone, It's kind of hard to deliver that feedback and then to know if they're using the feedback that you're giving them. So if you're not able to record calls and you don't have a sales engagement tool in place where you can actually coach your reps, I highly recommend that you check out Outplay. And this episode is brought to you by Outplay. They're a sales engagement tool that I'm super excited about right now. And one of their features that's really kind of badass is call whisper and call barging. So one thing you can do is listen live into a cold call as it's happening with a rep or listen to a recording if you prefer, but you can listen to these calls and give feedback either real time or give feedback on those recordings. So it allows you to remotely coach your team. You don't gotta be in the office sitting next to them to hear what they're saying. So if you're looking for a way to give better coaching to your reps, especially over the phones, make sure to check out Outplay. I think you'll really like their whisper function and their call barging function. I also got a special deal for you guys too. If you're looking to bring this into your team, or you're looking to use this as a tool to coach yourself, we got a special Black Friday offer where I'm going to get you 20% off. So you're going to save 180 bucks if you use this link, outplayhq.com slash Jason. Outplay is normally $75 a month or $900 annually. I can help you save 20% off of that. So it's about 180 bucks. Go to outplayhq.com slash Jason. 
I'll answer with something up front that we have a culture statement that we all crafted together. And the culture drives, I think, a lot of the foundations on our team. So that's why I mention it and respond this way, because one of the things in our culture statement as an SDR at PATH is we elevate each other and the performance of the team is more important than the performance of ourselves. So I'm always going to place emphasis on the team. Everything I do at an individual level is with the mindset of, can I, if I help this individual grow, that's going to help the team. That's going to elevate the entire team. And then also if the team can see this person grow, it, there's this energy that happens with growth. I feel like that even in a virtual world, like we are today, when people see a teammate start to ramp up and they see that teammate start to break past barriers that they didn't break through the month before the quarter before it is contagious. And they start to feed off of that same way that if negativity creeps in, you know, it can, it can cause a lot of distrust. It can cause a lot of questions. It can cause a lot of negative results. So they can work both ways. But I think if you can, if you can take that energy and you can amplify it in the team. So if you take an individual and you amplify their results, the team benefits from it. But what I mean, when I say like crafted messages towards individuals, what I realized was if I send out a message or if I share, you know, there's plenty of free advice on LinkedIn, right? <laughs> you can get on LinkedIn right now and you can find one message that says do this and another that says the exact opposite. And the thing that's interesting is there's, it just depends. Like I think there's so many situational pieces of advice. I, one thing I'm very hesitant to is to say, always do this, never do this. I think very, stuff is very situational, but I share that just because if I share a LinkedIn post to the entire group and we have a channel on LinkedIn where we can share messages in the group, it might, you know, three or four of the people might read it and interpret it differently. Whereas if I send that message directly to one of my teammates and say, hey, what do you think about this? He or she knows that we're in a single direct message and that person has the opportunity to speak openly and honestly with me. It also, they might be like, why is he sending me this? Or like, what's going on there, depending on what the message is. And so that's one example. Another is like how detailed I get, right? So there's people on my team that have three, five years experience selling. And there's people on my team that are right out of college. If I deliver a tactical based message and I leave out certain bits with the assumption that they're going to fill those gaps, well, the person with the experience might be able to fill the gaps, but the other person's going to fill it with, you know, it might not be what I intend it to be. So that's what I mean when I say I have to craft the messages. I have to fill in those gaps because each person on my team is at a different level in their career. Yeah. God, there's so much just goodies in there too. With like one thing I'm taking away from that is how does it feel for the people on your team to get an individualized message from you? versus something blasted out of the Slack channel that goes to five, 10, however many people a person might be managing. You're going to receive that information way differently. It's going to feel like John's thinking of me. And like you said, it brings it into a one-on-one -on -one context where it almost, you know, if a person doesn't reply to you, it's kind of weird versus a group saying, I mean, how many times you send group stuff out? And as soon as you get three or four people in there, the dynamic completely changes. It feels like a group text. You're like, God damn it. Why am I on this group text chain? You know? <laughs> yep. Yeah. And the thing that's amazing, and this is what I realized. So when I started that business early on in my career, the guy that I started with, one of my best friends, we're totally opposite people. I mean, opposite upbringings, opposite belief sets, opposite anything that you could think, but we're the best of friends. I love him. He loves me. And what it taught me is that we would sit in a business meeting and hear the same sentence and his brain would go somewhere and mine would go in the other place. And my takeaway from that experience was 
man, and if I spoke in that room, I ended up dominating that conversation and he never got to actually take what he heard, the path that he wanted to go with it because I chose to go ahead and implement. And the same thing can happen in a group dynamic. Like if I send a group message and someone carries it, three or four people might chime in. Well, now you've got one person who never got to speak their mind and I'll never know what that person might've been thinking. And I might've missed that opportunity to get even closer and learn even more about who they are as a person. So the, the individual message is really powerful. The other thing is like over time, you realize who's really into being recognized in the group and who really isn't. And that gets down to knowing what motivates them. Let's talk about that piece because you brought that up. I want to circle back to the coaching. And I love that question of how do we help you get to the next level? Because that specific individual, I remember having that conversation with you about, and I was like, hey, do you get how asking him to make more cold calls might feel like a form of punishment for crushing his quota? I love where you took that question. So how do you think about figuring out and finding out, how do you go about finding out what will motivate the individual? Well, I think first, one of those core beliefs of like, you know, I enjoy working with people that I enjoy being around. So, you know, I'm not, I, one thing I think I learned early on in my career is it's harder to go from manager or from friends. Like if you bring them in and you're just friends and then you try and manage them as opposed to managing them and growing an authentic relationship into becoming friends. So setting that tone up front, and I did learn this the hard way in previous leadership roles where I would try and be friends with everyone. And then when you try and deliver feedback, it just hits so much differently and it might not, you know, it gets uncomfortable and then they're not growing, you're not growing. So I took this approach and over time through intimate conversations and intimate feedback, you know, one of the things we do is weekly one-on-ones and we're talking about career development. We're talking about what went right, what went wrong, we don't have dashboards pulled up. It's more of a conversation between two people. And we're talking about a lot of different things. Now we have performance-based conversations too, but those types of weekly cadences help build a really good foundation for that person to start to open up. And then once they start to open up and become vulnerable and you can become vulnerable with them, you'll start to learn what motivates them. You'll start to learn about some of their past experiences. And what's amazing about this is you start to really realize behaviors and you're like, oh, that's why this person's doing that. That makes so much sense. And they, they get to know this and, and they get to see this in you and you see this in them. And then you really get to that next level of, okay, now I know how this person operates, what's motivating them. And so I can implement different techniques and different practices and, and share different tactics that I think are going to land really well. And then I'm just constantly asking for feedback. Like, hey, did this land well with you? If I have a group message, and I'm having a group conversation and we're talking about something, typically after what I'm doing is sending messages, sometimes to the group, sometimes to individuals and being like, hey, I, I wasn't seeing a lot of reaction out of you. It was like, talk to me about it. Like, was what we were talking about, did it land well with you or are you concerned? And trying to bring things up to the surface because you have to try and sometimes bring those things up early on in a relationship when people are less open to talking about it. And then over time, once you've earned their trust, they're messaging you being like, Hey, you know, (laughs) this didn't land well with me. Here's why. Yeah. That's something that just sticks out to me so much about you and the relationship with your team is you've created this environment where people feel very open about giving you feedback. What I took from what you just said just now is that I think a lot of sales management, and I use air quotes for those of you listening to it is about correcting behavior. 
So not making enough calls, you need to make more calls. How do we correct that behavior? And what I'm hearing from you is understanding why the behavior is happening. Because you know what? I don't think, I really don't believe that there are very many sales reps out there that don't want to do good at their job. I just don't believe that. It's too stressful of a career to get into to not want to do well. I'm not saying there aren't shitheads on every sales team. There, there always are. But I think 95 plus percent of the time, people want to do well. And there's behaviors that they have that are learned from decades probably of modeling just other people, their parents, their friends, their bosses, bad experiences they, they've had in other sales jobs. And dude, I love that piece. The culture statement is really cool too. There was something too that happened that I think helped forge relationships early on with the team. And and I think clear, concise communication, there's a lot of tactical things you can do. There's a lot of setting foundations and expectations during the interview process. But one thing that's unique for me in my situation is when I joined, I was an individual contributor. I battled my way to the top of the charts and held at the top of the chart. And when leadership came to me and said, hey, do you want to go into an AE role or do you want to go into an SDR manager role? I said, let me figure this out. Like we talked about earlier, I went to make the SDR management role, my role, but before I formally took it, I went to the two SDRs that were there more tenured than me. And I said, guys, here's what leadership wants to do. If I don't have your buy-in and support, then it's just going to be a title. So what do you guys think? I think they were like blown away that I was like asking them. They were like, what are you, they were like, what are you talking about? And still, still to this day, the one guy was like, dude, I can't believe you asked us for permission to lead us. And, but I, I read somewhere that like the title, a lot of people in sales leadership jobs just end up getting the title. They never have the influence. And if you don't have the ability to influence anyone, how are you going to have the ability to lead anyone? So that was a big thing. And that was, and it just so happened that I had to go through these life experiences almost a decade ago and multiple times throughout my career, like I touched on, I had to learn, you know, what isn't the right way to lead, to be able to be prepared for that moment now later in life. Oh man. I love that title versus influence. You're just dropping bombs today, man. There's one other area, depending on how much time we have that I want to dig into you with, and it's empowering your team. I noticed that your team participates a lot in the process the playbook, the messaging, improving things. How do you think about creating an environment where people feel empowered and how do you put that into action? Yeah, it, you got to make them the hero of the journey, right? I think this is something that we've probably touched on before through conversations. It's just like one of the things that I struggled with in the past, I keep going back to previous experiences because it got me to where I am today. But when I felt like I failed as a leader, I was serving myself. I was the hero of my own story. I still wanted to be recognized by leadership. I still, I was almost in a way, I had a choice to divvy out leads or take on some leads. And I would still take leads on at the time. Now I'm not on an individual quota. Now I'm on a team quota in this new structure. So I'm also incentivized by leadership to make everyone the hero of their own story, which I think is a great leadership format. In this previous role, it was kind of like, hey, you get to pick and choose. I wasn't mature enough at that point in my career to make everyone else around me successful. I wasn't uh, mature enough to realize that in a world where everyone wants to get something, if you give it, you actually get a lot more back. Once you have that realization, I think it becomes very easy to want to make everyone around you more successful than you because 
it will come back to you in life. But that's one of the biggest things is like, how can I help empower you? That's really my job as a coach is just to continue to provide them with support so they can do things autonomously. So they don't have to lean on me. They don't have to come back to me. They can go and figure out how to problem solve with the tool sets that we provide them. And if they don't know what to do, I hope that we've provided enough resources that they can pull from a library of tactics and implement that in real time. So they can feel empowered and they get that win. It does come back to how I judge myself as a leader and and what I think is a measure for success is, are they getting to the next level? If you're not empowering them, they're not going to get to the next level. So if I'm the bottleneck in my own process, I got to get out of my own way. And so I I had to learn that the hard way, but empowering them. Yeah. and, And what I realized too. So one of the things we did early on was like, we set up this channel through email and it's just a Google group. But anytime that I got an objection and anytime that anyone else got an objection and they would email it to me because I was the manager, I would email it to the group. And I'd say, what do you guys think? And it started off slow, but then it caught a lot of momentum. And now we've got SDRs answering other SDRs, everyone's sharing experiences, everyone's very open. And there's this constant feedback loop. And I chime in and and I provide feedback. But what I'm seeing is a self-sustaining team, a group that's growing each other. And I'm helping when I need to step in and I'm helping provide additional resources and support. And then I'm also able to focus time on what's next. I see the group is now honed in on this. They are self-sufficient in this. Now let's go tackle this. Yeah, it's almost a flattening of the org chart a bit where it's like, yeah, you're still their boss and you're, you know, kind of in charge of all this, you know, making sure it's going in the right direction. But you're also looking at how can I, you know, how can I be side by side with you guys, you know, and provide resources? I would say someone said this recently on on some talk and it really resonated with me. I think as managers and leadership, we get too much credit for the wins and not enough credit for the losses type thing. And what I mean by that is the team is responsible for the wins. I am just there as a part of that team. I am not making the team win. They are choosing to win and I am there helping them. And, you know, I'm a part of the wins, but I'm not the reason behind it. And I think people get caught up in wanting to get recognition and stuff. And then for the, when they fail, that is on me. That's not really on the team. I provided them with the resources. I, you know, I provided them with the coaching. If they don't know how to respond or react in a moment. Now, if it's something that they've had exposure to in the past, maybe there's an opportunity there for to to talk about it and say, Hey, let's drill into this. What happened here? Let's unpack it. But if it's something new, I didn't equip them. I didn't, I, I didn't give them the ability to be successful in that moment. Yeah. What are some of the other ways that you put this empowering thing you know, into action. I know that with one of the individuals we talked about, it was, hey, I'm not going to be able to run all of these virtual sales floors. Why don't you take, you know, one of these calls or, you know, that sort of thing. How, how else do you put the empowering your team part into action? A lot of group activities, I think, is one of the themes that you're hitting on. So like no ownership. There's not a lot of that. The viewpoint on it is like, I don't own the coaching sessions. If an SDR comes to me and says, hey, I'm really passionate about emailing right now and I'm having a blast. I want to talk about this. And I'm like, let's do it. Like, let's get, let's every week we do these fill the funnels. And again, words matter. So we, we named them that they're not daily standups. They're not weekly standups. They're fill the funnels. And when we get into those, we're talking about how do we fill the funnel? And every week on Tuesday, we talk about 
a topic that the SDR team picks. So when we say empowering them, they pick what they want to talk about. They choose who wants to talk about it. And I'm sitting there learning with them alongside them and providing feedback and chiming in. And then that other session is us reverse engineering opportunities. And I, and what's crazy is when this started, I was doing 80, 90% of the talking. Now I really am getting in these meetings and listening to my team. And it's an amazing shift because now they're teaching each other. We're all in this group feedback thing. And when I raise my hand, I'm like you said, a peer in the trenches with them providing feedback. I'm not their boss telling them something, but we look at what we did well and what we didn't do well. And we reverse engineer those opportunities. And you were a big, big proponent of this. And so extremely grateful for, for helping drive this type of framework. If we don't reverse engineer our playbook for success, how are we sharing that with other people? So now someone that's new with PATH can jump in and every Thursday, they're going to see what our top performing people are doing, what our middle of the road people are doing and what our new people are doing. And like, how did we get there? What did we do? What did we say? Why did we say it? And we talk about each opportunity. And so it's good because while I am in the trenches with them, the amount of action that they're taking versus me it ends up being them sharing their opportunities a lot more than me sharing mine. Yeah. And again, it puts the spotlight on your reps. Yes. Yep. Because if I'm a rep, I'm going to be really excited to present to the rest of the team how I landed that big meeting. It's going to feel pretty cool to do that. Yeah. I know what the feeling was like being an individual contributor when my picture went into an all hands deck because our leadership team is really, it's a really nice sales culture at PATH where they recognize and reward success and results. And so getting on that monthly all hands and having your picture up there as someone that was tied to a deal, I know what that feels like. And it's an amazing feeling in a couple hundred person company. And so my, my entire goal as a coach is to get my entire team and do as many of those slides every month as possible, because I know what a good feeling it, it creates. So that's a big motivation for me is like to get that recognition for them Dude, that's so powerful, man. I want to, in this last two minutes here, if you had to give yourself advice to the John in his early 20s that was in the first couple months of his first sales leadership role, knowing what you know now, what advice would you give yourself? Do things for other people. Don't do them for yourself. I was do a lot of my 20s was self-serving. I didn't have a mindset of abundance. So like growing up, right, I dealt with some things. It brought my family a lot closer because it was times of hardship, but there was like financial hardship. There was things there that happened where I entered into my professional career with this scarcity mindset. And I had this like thing where I was like, I got to get everything for me. And I just got to stockpile. And the more money I can make the, you know, I'll be the empire, my own thing. Like, and it was, I just totally had it all backwards. Like I needed to be giving to everyone around me, not trying to get things for myself. And so that was probably the biggest thing that I would tell myself is give more than trying to get. That was a big theme. And then I also let the competitive spirit drive you, but keep it healthy. Like don't, I think a lot of people in sales are like, you know, hustle all the time. And, and I live like nights and weekends for me are times to get ahead. Like I believe in the quote of like champions create distance on the weekends. I, I don't really take a lot of days off, but I also am not now at a point where I'm it's an unhealthy thing where it's into the night or it's impacting my health and fitness or it's impacting my personal relationships. Whereas in my twenties, I literally like 
my friends would be like, yo, like we haven't heard from you in months. <laughs> you know, John started a new role again. And I was in my own world, like just trying to crush sales goals, competing against myself. And I remember my brother being like, dude, you're going to be successful, like relax. But if you don't have anyone to share that success with, like, what do you, you know, what's the end game here? And so those are probably the biggest things. And I see it with young, motivated, hungry people, even today, because I'm, I'm in a role where I get to hire and interview people and add people to the team. And it's something that I didn't realize. And you kind of sometimes have to go through it, but, you know, pushing away sleep, pushing away a healthy diet, pushing away fitness, like pushing away certain things just so you can make more calls. I did it. It's the short game. It's not the long game. The long game is like building something that's sustainable and healthy. So those are probably the two biggest things I'd, I'd say. Some really good words of wisdom there, man. Yeah, this has been great. I mean, some of the big things I wrote down for takeaways were this concept of lowering your guard, modeling behavior of vulnerability, rubbing shoulders with your people, empowering the team. I love that title versus influence. Coaching that question of what's it going to take to get you to the next level? I, I love that. Customizing your approach for every individual in this culture statement is, is pretty cool, man. Is there anything that you want to share? Any kind of you know, last words of advice? And also let us know what you got going on at Path. I don't know if you guys are hiring right now, but let us know if you're hiring and where people can find out more information about you or connect with you and all that good stuff. Yeah, we're hiring. We are hiring. So we're, we're going to double the size of the SDR team at least. So definitely reach out to me on LinkedIn or go to the website, check out the website, and then you can reach out to anyone on our team they'll help put you in touch, but you can reach out to me directly. I'm, I'm on LinkedIn pretty often. I'm pretty active on there. I do have one question. So you asked me, you know, what's one thing I would tell myself, I would ask you that same question. And I would love to hear from you. Like what's, what's one thing that you would have told a younger version of yourself? Yeah. I would have bought in more to this concept of a couple things. Assume they know nothing. And these were things that they were, that were taught to me that I just didn't buy into. And assume they know nothing is don't treat your team like they're a bunch of idiots. It's just make the implicit explicit. Be super explicit about everything. Don't assume that people know how to start an email off. Don't assume that they know how to structure it. Don't assume that they know what you mean when you say personalization. You know, make zero assumptions. And then the other thing is, and again, I was told this, I just wish I would have taken the advice, is that your team's biggest weaknesses will often be what were your biggest strengths when you were selling because you completely ignore the things that come natural to you and you don't teach them because you didn't have to. And so I think that's such a big thing is just being aware of the bias that you bring into a coaching situation and that you're probably not thinking about stuff that comes naturally to you. And it's probably not going to come naturally for most of the people on your team. So those, those probably be the two things for me. Awesome. Yeah. I appreciate that. I, I figured I'd, I'd see what your answer was to that, but yeah, we're, we're hiring at path. We're really always hiring. It's out, out of my entire career. It's the company that's growing the fastest that I've ever been a part of. And it's, it feels like we're not even off the ground yet in terms of potential. So definitely reach out on LinkedIn. And one thing I would just do to echo that, just having experienced your culture, it's a one of the best sales development cultures that I've seen. And you're obviously a great guy to work with too. And the company's doing some really cool things. You just guys just secured a big round of funding. It's a super badass thing that you guys are doing. So make sure to connect with John or reach out to Path. The links are in the, in the show notes. And uh, John, dude, thanks for coming on, man. This is a lot of fun. Thanks for having me, Jason.
Ever have a prospect open up your cold email half a dozen times and just never responds? And you're using a tool that tells you that they're opening up emails. They open it a ton, but every time you try calling them, they don't pick up. Or you maybe have seen that they opened up a LinkedIn message. You can see that they read it or they accepted your LinkedIn connection request. Pretty frustrating, right? The problem could be your messaging. Don't get me wrong. That's what I help a lot of companies and reps with. But it's likely a timing and or a channel issue. Let me explain. Email isn't where conversations happen. Email is asynchronous. You cannot have a conversation with someone in an asynchronous form of communication, right? It's not like talking over the phone. And you can't have conversations with people if you can't get them to pick up the phone. But there's actually a third option that you may not have considered. And it's chat. Imagine if you could start an instant chat with a prospect when they go to your website. And no, I'm not talking about chatbots. I'm not talking about all those annoying chatbots out there. And I'm not talking about Facebook Messenger. I'm not talking about any of that kind of stuff. I'm talking about a chat tool that is built for outbound. Why would you want something like this? Well, a lot of prospects, when they look at your email signature, they'll click through to your website or they'll copy the URL. They'll copy and paste the URL at the end of your email to go check out what your site's all about. If they like what they see, they may or may not sign up. But you know what? Signing up through a contact form or replying back to your email, that's a lot of work. Responding to your chat isn't. And with Outplay, you can do just that. This episode is brought to you by Outplay. It's a sales engagement platform I'm super excited about. It's way easier to use than all of the other enterprise competition out there, who I will not mention their names. It's built specifically for SMB and mid-market sales teams. So if you need something to implement either for yourself or with your team quickly, and has this really cool chat feature that's built for Outplay, what they're seeing is close to a 300% increase in meeting set when you're able to engage prospects through chat. You don't even have to use a third tool to set it up and start using it with yourself or with your team. So make sure to check it out. I got a special deal for you for Black Friday. Outplay would normally be $75 a month or $900 annually. And I got the homie hookup for you. We're giving you a 20% discount for Black Friday. Visit outplayhq.com slash Jason. Again, 20% discount for Black Friday. Go to outplayhq.com slash Jason. 